Today on the podcast, we have my very good friend, Mr. Andy Campman. Andy has a job that kind of has two different heads to it. On the one hand, he works for a local church in Austin called the Austin Stone. And he also works for a parachurch organization. Both organizations, the, the church and the parachurch organizations, seek to send people among the unreached people groups of the world. And he's been doing this for many years now. And uh, he's got a lot of really cool stories to tell about what he's seen among the nations, but also what God has done in his life. And so there's a lot here we can learn from. And he's a guy that's a lot of fun. Uh, He's one of my favorite people in the world, even though we don't get to spend much time together. And there's a lot we can learn here in this conversation. And I look forward to you listening to it. But first, some music. Andy, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. It's so good to see your face. At least I'm seeing your face. No one else will be. They, I have the pleasure. They don't. Um, but uh, maybe we could start by just sharing how we know each other and why in the world I'd have you on the Vine Church podcast. Um, do you want to share that story? I mean, I'm going to be talking plenty, so you you can you're, feel free to kick it off, bro. Well, um, Andy and I were in college ministry together 20-some years ago. I think you moved to Iowa City, Iowa in the year 2000. Is that correct? 2000. Yeah, 2000. That's right. 2000, yep. And I moved there in 99. And we were in college ministry together and uh, had a lot of really, really cool ministry experiences together. University of Iowa, um, big Thursday night gathering of spazzy college kids and I was doing the music and Andy was um, wrangling college kids and doing a bunch of admin stuff and doing some preaching and mobilizing and kind of basically it's kind of the seeds of what you're doing today you know you just yeah you know in some ways yeah but uh so that's how we know each other we were on staff together at this big church in um in Iowa City Iowa 20 some years ago but I think it'd be good to share just because it's completely unrelated, but it's an awesome story. And that's not, it's not an awesome story. It's a very challenging story. Um, and I have shared this story with lots of other people just, you know, when you're sitting around swapping stories, tell us about the catastrophic mountain biking accident. (laughs) Uh, Zach, in many ways, I, I, I still mountain bike today and I'm, I'm indebted to Zach. Because uh, he and uh, a friend of our, another friend of ours, uh, Scott Scooter, we call them, and uh, Grandpa Tom uh, really got us. He was the Yoda master, and so the the four of us would mountain bike religiously, like multiple times a week. It was three yep. kids, me. Yep. I think Taylor maybe was just born. Yep. Um, or before he was the, born. Yeah. Yeah, and so we, you know, that's that's what we were doing. And so when when it was too rainy, we would 
uh, get on, uh, we just bike on the road and there was a, a, uh, an overpass or not an overpass, a dam. Like that, a spillway, right? A spillway, there spillway? you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like a con- big concrete ditch that wasn't, that's only used in flooding. And I asked Tom who lived near that thing, can I go over that? And uh, he said, yeah, of course. He thought I knew that there was an eight foot drop on the other side. So I take off on my bike and, uh, and, and, um, and, and hit the ramp side and then get to the top and realize this is not going to be good and supermaned it right in the pavement, broke both my arms, uh, and, uh, you know, surgery screws later. Um, uh, then I moved in with Zach and Kim for a <laughs> we while. Got, we got to paint the picture of like, when uh, you say you broke your arms. Was, you really, didn't you just kind of destroy both your elbows? Both of my elbows were, I couldn't even itch my nose. And so all functions of the, of a person from putting on your, your clothes to, using the restroom uh, were not possible. And some good brothers like uh, Mr. Zach, Dr. Nielsen uh, were, were my, my saving grace. And so he, um, he has, he has um, <laughs> served me in ways that many people have not. Exactly, so. yeah. There's, there's a few people on this planet that have an intimate understanding of um, all things related to your bodily functions that, um, <laughs> hey, it was uh, it was a joy to serve you. Um, that was such a unique experience um, when you can't use your arms. I, I have I have two poignant memories. One is, you know, for those of you that don't know Andy, he's extremely energetic, extremely independent, um, has a I can do this, I can fix it kind of attitude, and it's one of his biggest strengths. And the Lord just, you know you know, yank that rug out from under him where he can't do anything. Yanked and I remember hard. one night um, <laughs> we were having a band rehearsal and you were needing to ride home with me because you were going to spend the night, you, you know, we were passing him around because he needed kind of full-time care. And we were passing him around different people on the church staff. And uh, it was it was our turn, Kim and I's turn to take care of you. And you were sitting in one of the lounges at church while waiting for the our band to get done rehearsing. And you were just sick of waiting around and you just broke down in tears because it was just like this. I don't know if you remember this. I, I can still see it in my mind, mm. but you, you were just like, this sucks. And I, and I just remember just feeling so bad for you because you're so frustrated, you know, just being stripped of all independence. And then I remember just <laughs> laying in bed. It's probably three in the morning and you were down the hall in our guest room. And I just remember you hear I remember you say, Zach. Zach, <laughs> like a little baby that, I mean, that's what you were reduced to though. You, man, it's just horrible. And uh, you had to go to the bathroom and you needed help. I couldn't do it by myself. You man. couldn't, I, you, could, you couldn't even I, get out of bed by yourself. I don't think. I don't think I could originally. No, Yeah. it was rough, man. It was, it was one of the most humbling. My wife is so glad we weren't married. Then. <laughs> um, <laughs> But what a, man, what a, um, I don't know. There's some, we could probably talk a whole podcast about the lessons learned in, in something like that. But yeah. anyway, I just, whenever I talk about you, I always talk about that story. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's so, I mean, it was horrible to watch you. I remember, you know, we, we checked in with your brother, uh, that night, I think. Yeah. Or I don't even remember, but I just remember like you were so traumatized in the moment and it was just this horrible experience, but God used it in your life. He did. He did. It was very, I remember, uh, same, same thing. I was in a room and we had those round door handles at, at the old church 
And I literally, somebody accidentally shut the door and it wasn't locked, but it was just shut. And we had those heavy wood doors and I didn't have enough strength in my arms to open the door. So I was literally trapped. And this is (laughs) cell phone world. This is 20 years ago, right? Right. No cell phones. I was literally trapped in the office and it was another one. I just broke down and cried. Like I am so, uh, I, I can't do a single thing. I can't even open a door. Right. How did you get out? I don't remember that part. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I, all I remember is crying and, and sitting in self-pity <laughs> and begging the Lord to, to heal my arms and get me out of this blasted room. Oh, man. You know? and, so uh, the lesson but, is don't go on a huge concrete spillway, you know, riding your bike 30 miles an hour, not knowing what's on the other side of it. <laughs> but that, that do, helmet saved your life, right? The helmet did. It, I, I would have been in a wheelchair or worse had I not literally, you know, my arms hit first. So that's why my elbows busted out. Um, but then my head slammed the ground. So if you do do it though, you better have a good community around you that is willing to love and sacrifice you or hire an incredible home health aide. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, (laughs) I wanted to ask you too, Ants. Um, I mean, this is a a formative thing in, in your life, um, this experience, but I know there's another one that's that, you know, we won't laugh much about, but I think it's important to talk about. And I'd love to, um, honestly, you and I have not process this I don't think much together so I'm curious and I think how we talk about this will be very instructive for our church um but you guys lost your first child mm-hmm. and um can you just tell that story to us a little bit yeah yeah you bet uh I grew up in a family of all boys and uh actually prayed uh that God would give me all boys I'm so glad that he didn't answer that prayer my wife jokes all the time that I, that I couldn't have handled it um, <laughs> I would hurt them. Uh, 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 but, uh, but so prayed for a long time, uh, that, uh, you know, so when we found out that we were pregnant, we'd been married for, uh, three years, I think at the time and, uh, found out we were pregnant going for that 20 week ultrasound and, you know, uh, it's a boy. And yep. so so pumped. And, uh, um, but then, but then as, uh, we got uh, news from that, that 20 week ultrasound that something seemed to be wrong. And um, found out, uh, ended up finding out that Simeon, uh, we named him Simeon because we were, were trusting God that he wasn't going to die until Jesus returned, because that's what we're giving our life to. We want to, we'd love to see the day, and I don't know how it's all going to happen, you know, but we'd love to see the day that all the people groups have a witness among them and he returns. And I'm not trying to press some end times theology in any way, shape or form. But so we named our son Simeon because that was the promise that was given to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we found out that Simeon uh, at 20 weeks had this disease called trisomy 18, where he had three number 18 um, chromosomes. And ironically, Zach, um, that same spillway where I broke my arm, uh, the day we found out, I can remember being out in and just trying to get away from everything, walking with my wife, Jamie, Simeon's inside of her. Mm-hmm. And, and us just hugging in that exact same parking lot where I broke my arms mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, four or five years before just weeping and saying, God, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, we, we prayed and you, you got us pregnant and, and, um, and, and so uh, with trisomy 18, uh, long story short, there's 99.9% chance that the baby's going to die um, as soon as, as, as soon as they're born. And, um, and so we were out on a service trip 
Um, uh, and so we prayed, we began to pray two things, actually, God, would you either do an absolute miracle and just heal him? Um, or would you take him soon so that Jamie doesn't have to go nine months and then deliver a dead son? And so she was seven months along every year. We take college students. Um, uh, Zach's been on a lot of those trips. We went out to Colorado, uh, with about 40 college students were out there just working and and living a biblical life. It was so great. And then Jamie's water breaks on a, on a Wednesday night. And, um, and so we're about an hour outside of Denver. We drive in and uh, God answered so many prayers just in, in the, the birth of our son. But just, just like what, what the statistics are, at, uh, when he was born, his heart stops beating. And mm. uh, so we spent a couple hours just holding him. Um, and one of the things that's so beautiful is, is Kurt, my youngest brother, had an opportunity uh, that summer to go to China and and wasn't going to go because he's like man this is my brother's first son i feel like i should be around for this and and we're like kurt are you kidding me you you should you our lives are about helping the world worship jesus you should absolutely you'll get to spend plenty of time with him after he's born this is Mm. all before so he signed up to go to that on that trip well guess who was on that colorado trip it was Kurt, my youngest brother, mm-hmm. and the only, and the person who gave up the right to see our son was the only one who got to hold him. Mm. And and we just our parents offered; they were so they, everybody wanted to come and visit, and we just said, I, I think it's just going to be best to let us mourn and spend time by ourselves. But Kurt, the one who'd given it up for the sake of Jesus being proclaimed among the nations, was the one that got to hold him and interact with him, um, or at least the shell of his body. And, um, and what was so sweet, bro, on the back end of that is, um, you know, it, it wasn't an easy one. I, I feel like um, two things uh, got us through that. Number one is we had, uh, by God's grace, uh, a theology of suffering in the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for years of listening to men like John Piper and others who embrace what I would just say is so crystal clear from books like Job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shall we not receive good from the hand of the Lord and, 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 and not not evil, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that he's over all things, good and bad. If he's over the death of his own son, mm-hmm. how much more the death of my son? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, uh, so that got us through. So we had all these promises. And then number two was a community to go, go back to. Yeah. And our church, um, bro, back in Iowa City that you and, our, and I were a part of, loved on us like none other. Oh, and yeah. then began to the, this incredible process of praying. Um, Jamie and I both separately just started praying for twins for, you know, this God-ordained reason. And the whole church started praying for twins. And long story short, we've got 14-year-old twins now. And um, I don't know if you remember that day, bro, but I got a... The, the twins are born. I, I had moved away. I, oh, you had moved. Yeah, I wasn't there. Yeah, we had well, moved to one Nashville. Of my, one of Jamie and I's most glorious moments with our church was, you know, they'd been through the, the whole experience of, of losing our son, praying for twins, us getting pregnant. You know, that's a high-risk pregnancy. Yep. Um, and, and, and then the twins being born, and it's Father's Day. And so they're, they're just over a month old. And, and Jamie comes up, uh, you know, I, Jamie and I come up on stage and I'm holding one of them in each hand, Josiah and Abigail, yeah. and everybody's just weeping. And yeah. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible moment, you know. What, uh, what and, an amazing testimony though. That's another thing that I, I share about you when I talk about you is that you don't have twins in your family, in your extended family really at all. And you prayed for twins and God gave it. You did. Like that's, that is so cool. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. What what do you remember about the grieving process, Andy? Like if you were to give counsel, I mean, I love the theology and the community as like pillars for yeah. walking through that valley. Yeah. Are there other things that you would say that maybe in respect to your own, you and Jamie's journey that yeah. were really important for you in that? Because I can't honestly, dude, I can't think of anything harder yeah. than, than enduring what you guys endured with the loss of a a child in that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, the big ones that really ministered, to, uh, that really blessed Jamie, that helped her through was, you know, and this is 20 years ago, remember like online groups were just kind of starting to be a thing. And, yep. and, uh, and she um, got to be a part of a, a mom's group online with other moms that had actually uh, families that had trisomy 18 babies and mm-hmm. had lost them. And, and being, in a space where, you know, somebody gave us, I don't remember who it was, just gave us this incredible counsel, sit in your morning, don't mm. try to just get past it. And which right. is what we all do so often. Right. We just, we want to get out of it and we want to get out of it in godly ways. And we want to get out of it in ungodly ways. Mm-hmm. And we just, the advice that was given to us is just ask the Lord, what do you have for me in the midst of this morning? And Jamie got a process and, and it wasn't all believers as a part of that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but just got to process with all these moms who were going through or had gone through the exact same experience and having that community um, to mourn with was one of the best things that, that God really gave us. And then on the back end of that, what was so amazing is God opened so many doors every time, all of a sudden, like it was like out of the woodwork, all these women would start coming to coming to Jamie. I've, I've lost uh, a baby. I miscarried. Uh, we've had a hard time getting pregnant. And, and it's almost like because we suffered in that way, God opened all these doors yeah. and, um, and it was incredible. And so I think the other one would just be, be, be like to, in hindsight, so much easier, but like being thankful for that time of suffering. Um, there was a guy that was a part of our college ministry that had been in Rwanda uh, during the genocide mm. and um, came up to me. Um, after I preached about Simeon, the loss of Simeon, and he just said, I'm so thankful that you talked about suffering and mourning um, because today's the anniversary of the genocide. And I, I, I walked into this huge room with hundreds of people, not thinking that anybody knows what it means to really mourn. And you showed me that's not true. And mm-hmm. I said, well, bro, what, what, what we experienced was so much smaller, lesser than a genocide. Mm-hmm. And he said, and it was so beautiful. He said, no, Andy suffering is suffering and and to be able to relate to somebody else that suffers just means that you've suffered and um that was awesome so yeah so i'm reminded of i think it's second corinthians chapter one that we comfort one another with the comfort with which we've been comforted by the father that's right and i'm not surprised that um so many people have benefited um, from your experience, um, you wouldn't wish the experience on anybody, but the fact that others can just receive blessing from your experience because of the pain that they have is, is really, really beautiful and biblical. Um, how did your, how did your grief for you personally, how did it manifest itself? Uh, I think, um, you know, like you mentioned, I, I uh, am much like the, you know, the, the prodigal sons, uh, you know, the younger and the older. I am much like the older, believing the lie that I can 
work to win God's favor. And, and it's just a kind of a part of lifestyle that we grew up in our part of Iowa. You work hard. And, and, and it was one of these things that I couldn't work myself out of, mm-hmm. you know, which was frustrating because I feel like in most areas of my life, I could work hard enough, whether it's in mobilization or, um, really wanting to meet with Jesus or there were things that I could do to, but this was, this was permanent and there was nothing that could be done to, to change it. Yeah. You couldn't and, solve it. Yeah. I couldn't solve it. You know, it was just given to me, mm-hmm. um, uh, from the vine dresser and, mm-hmm. Um, I, I do um, remember just wrestling with God. How 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 could this be your best? I, I want to trust you. I know that it's good. I know that you work all things for the good of those who love you. I know that you know what Satan intended for evil, God intended for. I know the promises, but it um, the the wrestling. Uh, uh, I I just remember being um, honest uh, with the Lord about being mad that. I didn't get the answer to my prayer that I prayed in faith, even before I got married, that my oldest would be a son, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, it's good to, it's good to just be, uh, honest with God. I think that's one of the most beautiful things this the Psalm show us when David's hanging out in the caves and he's just honest with God sometimes. Like, why are my enemies thriving? How long, um, O oh Lord, how long, how long will they, you right. know? Yep. And, um, and so, yeah. Uh, it, it, it drove me to question, uh, the, the Lord, but in, in, on the backside of questioning, trust more. And yeah. that's not just a Sunday school answer, but there really was a sense of, are you good in the midst of my son dying? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so. Gosh. Yeah. That's so rich, Andy. And that's really the pattern in the Psalms that we see the Psalms of lament is that this questioning and this crying out, but there's always this coming back around like a, yet I will praise you yet. I will trust and hope in your steadfast love. And but man, we got to go through the valleys sometimes, and uh, you live long enough, and it's just inevitable, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, man, um, I want to share. I want to. I want our our church and those listening in uh, to get to know you as a person. I think your um, employment is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so just tell uh, tell us like what what do you do at a, at a high level? Um, what's your job description, and yeah. we can go from there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually uh, kind of have two uh, groups that I'm a part of. Number one is the Austin Stone uh, Church down here in Austin, Texas, and uh, on staff with with our church, and 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 then uh, I um, help lead uh, a, a group that we started really under a different name, but about uh, what 13 years ago now, called Launch Global, and uh, we switched names about six years ago. Um, but doing the exact same thing with both, and that is to recruit and train uh, uh, people that are a part of local churches to go overseas among the unreached to plant reproducing healthy churches. Um, and so our job is to walk people through that process, not not do a lot of times when people hear mobilization, they think maybe a, a sermon on the nations, you raise your hand and then we join you up with pioneers, frontiers, YWAM crew, whoever. And, and we've actually made the process longer because we want to really, we want to do that process with people to find out what is God really doing in people's lives? And are they prepared to go to some of the most spiritually difficult places on the earth and see a brand new work of God birthed? Um, so that's a, that's a start. Yeah. So you do that through the local church and through like a sort of a parachurch organization. And is, is, is it, 
I mean, it's a little confusing, but is the job description kind of the same for both organizations? It is. It is. And 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 what's unique about the the you know this parachurch organization that we started, uh, one of our our core values is the local church. And if I'm really honest, Zach, um, uh, I wasn't the easiest person to be around probably for good old Parkview. And I'm so grateful for you know guys <laughs> like Jeff and Doug and Steve and all Park, the guys that put up. Yeah, Parkview is the church that we worked at in Iowa City together. And, you know, like any uh, know-it-all, uh, you know, 20-something, yep. uh, you know, we really started, uh, you know, uh, our nonprofit back then or this this church group to kind of show the church how to do it right. is what we thought. I wish you could see my face because I'm, I'm very sarcastic right now, right? right? right. Um, and, and, um, and, and after about four years of that, uh, really after about three years of that, the Lord dinged Jamie and I on the head. And, and we wouldn't outright speak against the local church, but we would just give her these little shots all the time. And, and like, the why Lord can't was, you get your act together? <laughs> you know, if, if, I mean, you say discipleship from the stage, do you right. even know what it is to make disciples, you know, et right. cetera, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yeah. It's like, and, I always tell people we were armed with like one John Piper book and ready to answer all the world's hardest questions and just, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, yeah. It's just like, why can't these people, I mean, my my 25 year old wisdom, I can set them all straight. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, you think about the, at, at the most, we were maybe leading a college uh, Bible study. Exactly. So our leadership, I mean, just so, you know, the Lord was so kind to yes. Jamie and, I, and came in, rescued us from that. I'll, 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 I will say sinful uh, mentality and just said, you need to love my bride. And the reason she has problems is because you're a part of her. And, and, and anybody, Amen. anybody can rip on her. Yeah. But what takes work and what my heart is, is for you to build her into what I've designed her to be. Yeah. And that happened about a year before we moved down here. And, and the Lord just rearranged uh, how we view the local church. And just and so at, at the same time, there's a guy named down here um, named Joey, who is the missions pastor with the stone. And he said, man, I want to take these training groups that you guys do and I want to put them inside of our church. Our church has a vision. Uh, to send a hundred people long-term to the unreached peoples, uh, which is, you know, just kind of like, that's like, you know, Hey, I'm going to plant a church on Mars, right? No church, one church should mobilize off. Maybe that's like a 25 or a hundred year goal, you know? Um, but the Austin stone said, man, this is our, the vision we feel like God. And Joey had heard about what we were doing in Iowa, running these nine months training groups where we taught people, what does it mean to really live out um, the end of Acts 2, 42 to 47, mm -hmm. and be the church and multiply church and get into people's lives. And he said, I think that's the infrastructure that can actually carry the vision of the stone. And, and, I, and, and so we had this question, well, what's going to happen to, you know, uh, Launch Global? And he said, I think what we can do is we can actually embed it into the local church. And if you guys are okay, letting your, the name of your organization disappear, you can just be the Austin Stones mobilization. Well, we never cared about the name in the first place. Mm -hmm. All we cared about was unreached people's worshiping Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's really J Joey's, you know, brainchild. And so that's what we did. We came in the Austin Stone. There are people today, Zach, if they were listening to this podcast, that they'd be like, I didn't know that you were a part of a, 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 a nonprofit, a parachurch group. They just think I'm a pastor on staff, Sure, you know? And yep. we love it that way because Launch Global doesn't mean anything to, to most people in Austin Stone, and we don't care about that. Yep. They, they trust, know, and love their local church. And so that's that's how this, we call it this embedded model. Yep. And and so now, by God's grace, it's not just with the Austin Stone, but we're in you know over 20 churches um, uh, 
across the across so the you're streets. working to mobilize um people to be sent among the un- unreached unengaged for the sake of church planting and you're trying to send them from the local church where you work but also coming along uh, aside, come alongside other churches uh to help them do the same thing is that kind of correct that's right. And so rather than uh, we, we really have this strong conviction that the local church should own the mobilization of their people. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about practically what that means, but, but it's not something we should completely outsource. Yes, we should use a hundred percent use agencies like uh, pioneers, frontiers, crew, whoever, because they have some expertise that, that local churches don't necessarily, right. but the training of those people rather than, than outsourcing the training or barely doing any training at all, um, which is usually, you know, a lot of times the process for these these organizations, and they're doing the best they can, but it's just like a two to four week process, right? And we're talking about being becoming a part of a church planning team, right? right? And so, uh, you know, the first question we want to ask is, uh, do these people even know how to make disciples? And when I say discipleship, I'm not talking about older believer to a younger believer, but do they know how to walk into a coffee shop have a gospel conversation, get people reading the Bible, see them follow Jesus, and then help the rest of the people in the coffee shop have the same opportunity. Now, you're That's, not expecting them to do that in, in the first 10 minutes, right? Not the first 10 minutes, no. <laughs> and, 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 we're not, and we're also not teaching that in a classroom setting. So yeah. we're, we're real big on uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, Jesus shows 12 apostles that he might be with them and then send them out to preach. Amen. And so a lot of times I feel like churches, you know, before that it talks about how he stays up all night. He appoints the 12, mm-hmm. then he's with them, and then he they send. And most churches are good with the appointment and good with the sending. They just forget that really important middle part called the with factor. Yes, That's what we call the it. with and factor. That, I like it. It, it. It's actually taking people, you know, Jamie and I started our group just this last week. And, and so we're taking people into our neighborhoods, in the apartments, and we're sharing sharing the gospel. We're saying, hey, if you're not sure how to share the gospel, that's okay. Come with me. I'll show you how. So, And then after a few times, now you're going to try it. Yep. We're not talking about prayer. We're down in our, well, it's COVID, so we're not in our living room. We're out in right. our front yard. Right. But we're in our front yard this morning, early, before the sun's coming up, and we're crying out for the harvest yep. that we believe is in our community. And so yep. there's... So this gets maybe into a, the practicals a little bit, but there, there's strong modeling that happens in the, the training. Yeah, it um, sounds like apprenticeship to me. It, it 100% is. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Identify, apprenticeship, send. I mean, there's a lot of acronyms that churches use or whatever, I'm sure, but I, I, I love it. And we're, we really resonate with that at the Vine. And um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear Andy, like, because I'm on your prayer emails that I've been getting for 10 years or so. You're traveling all over the world all the time. And uh, that's really, really cool. Um, but most recently, you just got back from Lebanon. Yeah. And everybody listening to this podcast will have heard of the horrible explosion that happened there. Um, just because it's all over the news and such. Tell us what you learned in that trip and, and why did you just pick up and go? Um, yeah, fill us in on yeah. what's going on over there. You know, I, it was interesting. The The explosion happens um, and I get on the horn with, we got three different teams over there. So that means three different team leaders. And I get on the horn right away with one of our team leaders 
And, you know, um, I think it was the next day. It wasn't right away the day that it happened. We have another crew that kind of does that. And so I was just trying to give him a little space. But one of the things I encouraged him is like, man, bro, uh, make sure that the team is okay. You know, that's the, obviously that's the first one is make sure everybody's okay and breathing. And if people aren't, let's get them the help they need. But then, bro, we need to run toward the danger, mm-hmm. like run toward what happened, not away from it. Um, because, because, and I just said, this guy's name is, uh, well, maybe I won't say it, but like, um, uh, it doesn't matter. It's Lebanon. But I said to Pete, Pete, um, the, my, the best stories in my life have happened when we've gone into the mess. Yes. And, and, and preach. So, amen. I just, he's like, I literally just preached that two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I hang up the phone and, and then I get convicted. Here I am encouraging him to head towards it. What yeah. am I doing? Right. Uh, and, and he was actually back in the States. And, um, and so, uh, long story short, I, there was an opportunity for me to jump in with him. And so we were, you know, on the ground, uh, within a week of the explosion happening and, um, you know, maybe some of the takeaways. And so I just, again, bro, and, and you know, some of these stories Zach, cause you guys have faith, you and Kim have faithfully prayed for us over the years, but, but almost every time I feel like when we wait and kind of see what everybody else is doing, that's fine. And sometimes God does call us to wait. But way more often, I think what he wants us to do is head into the madness, not having all the questions answered, showing up and and just saying, God, lead me to what you want me to do yeah, because there's me. work to be done. Yep, there's me. work to be done here. Yeah. And we've seen it over and over again. I remember going through Oklahoma City once a tornado came down into more and uh, and, you know, it's like, should we should we help? Yeah, let's help. So we tried to um, help. But because it was literally the morning after the tornado, uh, none of the agencies were up and going yet. And we're like, man, we, we see all this destruction around. We can't just keep driving down to Austin. And uh, so we parked our car, just walked into a neighborhood um, and and end up helping this guy find his wife who had just passed away a month earlier, his wife's wedding, wedding ring, wow. you know? And, and so it like things like, and so the same thing is true in, in Beirut right now, the, the country's a, a mess. Yeah, tell you know, us yeah. what, tell us what you saw. You get, you get, you get on the ground, plane lands, yeah. you go to the, where the mess is. What do you see? It, you know, uh, the closest thing I can describe it back in Iowa, you know, there's an F5 tornado that wiped through my hometown and literally took out a third of my town. That was probably the closest thing you get down there and you're just like, you know, uh, we like one of the the houses that we helped clean up was this lady that lived on the sixth floor and she was probably uh, a straight shot, but she was probably a half mile from the blast. All of her windows blown in. It's a miracle that she was alive. Um, and, and just, you could just see where it looked like a bomb had literally gone off, uh, in her, in her house because all the the glass just was like shrapnel and was just stuck in walls and all over the place. Wow. And, 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 and so, you know, buildings that were within, you know, half mile, mile were just completely blown all the way through. Like there's not, not any glass left in them. You Are the know? buildings still standing and upright? Built most of the buildings. There were a few buildings that were damaged structurally. Um, uh, the, the ones that were the closest to the blast that were made out of, especially like aluminum, those got, those got, you know, just crinkled up. It looked like, yeah. you know, like your, one of your kids just took a, a Lego set and just, you know, cr- yeah. crinkled yeah. it up like tinfoil. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, but, but many of the buildings were, were standing, but the, there was just glass that got shattered everywhere. And so by the time we got there a week, there was still a lot to do, but the streets were st starting to get cleaned up. I think I heard something like 9,000, you just saw these cars destroyed, you mm -hmm. know, 9,000 cars destroyed, 300,000 people's uh, homes affected. Um, you know, it's a city of 2 million people. So that's the same size as Austin. And um, there was a real, um, you know, as we were out on the streets and talking to people and even just getting stuff to eat, um, Pete um, just said, man, I feel like after we talked to several folks, people in Lebanon, in Beirut in particular, aren't necessarily as open to sharing. There's almost this kind of European vibe that, that is over Beirut. Mm -hmm. They speak French there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really strange, it's kind of a spiritual circus actually there. Um, mm -hmm. You've got multiple forms of, of, of Islam, Catholicism, lots of Christian Orthodox, you know, just all kinds of different things. And, and we talked to multiple people and, and Pete said, man, I've never seen people be this open to talk about spiritual things. I love it. And uh, so, so God was really, you know, cause they were hanging on by a thread before the explosion, right? right? There, there were with, with, with protests and revolution and COVID and you know uh shortages in food their their dollar which is called the lira was continuing to go down the toilet you know the explosion was just one more piece and people are looking for hope so so you were there just to support your teams that you're in relationship with and just to serve that was pretty much it yeah the the biggest thing you know we did a little bit of cleanup but the the biggest thing that we we're trying to do is just come underneath our teams see how they were doing let them know that we're for them, that, that making sure that, that they've got the help they need and really trying to come under those those three team leaders as they figure out how to lead their teams and figure out long term. How do we work with, you know, there are a handful of, of uh, churches in Beirut, you know, and how do we uh, one of the teams really is focused on coming alongside one of those churches. How can we empower uh, them uh, uh, and work alongside them? And so, um, yeah. Wow, Andy. Well, you've, you've gotten a chance to travel all over the world. Um, are there any like poignant experiences? I'm sure there are, but I'd love to just hear you tell a couple stories about, man, we went to this place and this happened and it just blew me away or what God was doing here just really struck me. Um, either positive or negative, you know, yeah. or in between, like, yeah. does anything come to mind? Yeah, I think um, I think so. The underlying principle is always go a little further, uh, uh, and and here's what I mean. One of the days we we went out uh, into the mountains, actually outside of Beirut. Uh, you might have heard of this um, thing called the Bakaw Valley. It's where most of the Syrian refugees that have flooded Lebanon have moved into, and it's it, it's it's kind of a, they got a mountain range on each side, and there's a valley that goes the whole length of the. The country north to south and 800,000 Syrian refugees uh, over the last eight years have moved into Lebanon, 800,000. And uh, there's this, this city um, that's kind of in the middle of the Bakal Valley called Zafe. And what was interesting is we were talking to some, some workers there um, uh, who had been there for several years and they said most of the work, whether it be kind of social justice work, so education, medical, or more gospel centered, and those two are, aren't always separate, of course, but most of the people are working with them in, a, in, in about a 10 minute drive of Zahle, of the city, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go 15 or 20 minutes out, almost nobody's working. And, mm -hmm. and he said conservatively, over, 
over 60% of, of the camps, there's 800,000 people, right? There's 1,700 of these little tent villages. So you've got four to 500 people uh, living in each little tent, you know, camp. But the further you get from Zahle, where there's Western amenities, there's even a Starbucks, and you, the further you go out, the less and less the help gets. And this is why I know your church is so passionate about the unreached. But, 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 but just going a little further to the villages that are just, you know, I always feel like um, uh, it's, it's true when we're thinking about the unreached. If we would just, like it's, um, it's Isaiah uh, 49, verse 6. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up uh, uh, for the tribes of Israel only. Uh, I've, I've created you to be a light for the nations mm -hmm. that, that God doesn't want us to just look around just at our little neighborhood, but he wants us to, he's always trying to increase our vision and send us to the edges, um, uh, to the highways and byways to fill the banquet hall mm -hmm. with, with the people that he has, um, who are ready to say yes to him and probably the ripest place for a movement of God for planting churches that plant churches that plant churches, healthy churches. Uh, is in this Bacall Valley. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, how, how, how do we continue to engage, not just on, around Zahle, but how do we engage those that nobody else is engaging? And, and they're so open, bro. This is the other thing that I wish we would get past is a lot of times we feel like in order to do anything, we need like permission slips. Mm -hmm. and, and half the time we don't even know who we need a permission. Do I need a permission slip from the church? Do I need a permission slip from the government? Do I need and, and do like to get into these camps? Does the UN have to tell me? Does the, the mayor of Zahle need to? And, and I think often what God wants us to do um, is, is just walk in by faith and, and see what he's, he's starting to do mm -hmm. rather than waiting and waiting and waiting. Again, it kind of goes back to this an idea of, man, when we've waited um, for the, the, the organizations or the government or whatever to get stuff set up, we don't have as good of stories as when we just go in and, and we say, God, where do you want us? Who do you want us to help? Yeah. And, you know, so, so, you know, even with these, with these tent villages, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we were, we wanted to get into one and we were just like, man, Lord, if you want to get us in a, in somebody's tent, we would love to be in there. And, you know, there are some questions, should we do that? Should we not? And, you know, but, but one guy that was with us that had worked in the labor camps in Dubai, he's like, we should absolutely go in there. And we had a Syrian with us, hmm. um, a Syrian believer. Um, and it, so it's the three of us. And within 15 minutes, literally, I kid you not, we're just walking around. We have this little gaggle of kids that's following us around and, and both the Syrian, obviously, and my friend speak Arabic. So they're, you know, talking with these kids and this lady literally leans out of her tent and says, could you come and pray for my daughter? Oh, wow. And, and so within 15 minutes, we're right in uh, somebody's tent. And I just feel like um, this mentality of, of entering and actually being among, it's the manifest. The word became flesh and made yeah. his love among yes, us. Yes, yes. What I say all the time, Hans, is if we're in this context that you're sharing about, in my context, any ministry context, I think 90% of it is just show up. That's exactly right. Just show up. And, um, it's like, how do and, I reach my neighbors? Yeah. Just be outside. Yeah, just go outside, <laughs> and, and, or or invite them, and not maybe not right now, but like yeah. invite them to your house. Yep. Getting them to the house is the biggest hurdle. But you know, but if I Jesus would the treasure that we say he is, then Amen. that will come out. So, Amen, bro. We're 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 uh, reading the same script. 
I think I want to not blow by something you said though, because this is very important in my mind is we didn't show up with what I was hearing you say is like, we didn't show up with this huge agenda. We showed up with only the agenda of, I think there's probably ways that we could serve, but I don't know for sure. And we're just praying, Lord, here we are. Uh, It seems like there's a huge need here, but we're not imposing anything on anybody. We're not coming with an arrogant Western American, rich white person mindset necessarily at all. Um, but and like, we should, and it's okay for us to have a, you know, we, we, we very much are in that, in those camps and, and Lord willing will be in those camps with wanting to see the kingdom of God come forth. We want to see churches planted. Yes. I think so there, need, so there is an agenda. There is an agenda. And, that, and we're but, not apologizing but, for that one. We're not apologizing at all, yep. but we're holding loosely the strategy. Yes. Like God, how you want to open these doors it's, and it's good to have strategy and think through. I'm not saying don't have strategy. We should. And how yep. are you going to share the gospel? How are you going to disciple people? How are you going to form church? How are you going to invest in leaders? Like those would be some really good questions to yep. have answered. Yep. But at the end of the day, just getting in there um, is going to be we, we, we way too far over strategize and don't just yeah. show just up. Show up. Yeah. So, I, I just I fear that someone could interpret what you're saying as recklessness. Like right. I got a call and no, no matter what anybody has told me, like, well, I'm not sure you're really quite ready. Well, Andy said I should just go and just show up. And Zach says I should just show up. And I, we both know each other well enough that we don't, I mean, you're investing your whole life into preparing people. You're not advocating for recklessness of just like no. read a Bible verse and I'm on a, getting a plane ticket the next day. That's right. Um, but we've to your point, lengthen the process, right? Like we've, yeah. <laughs> we've instead of just we've actually made it harder to go. You know, we've yeah. at, at fastest people from the day they say they want to go to the day they're on the plane for us is is the fastest, and that's like breakneck speed that nobody does is a year and a half to two years. Right. Most people take three, and and so prepare. But even in the midst of preparing, have that attitude of getting in there. Yeah, it's all a mindset. Time. That's right. And, and so we, then when you begin to see God be faithful in your neighborhood and you begin to share the gospel, you see your group sees people come to Christ. Now you're discipling people and you're helping them share. Now what God's doing, is he's growing faith in you to say, wow, when we pray, when we do the things that Jesus says, Luke 10 to Matthew 9, 37, pray earnestly for more labors to be raised up from the harvest. When we do those things as a community of believers, then, then it actually... It, it actually works. God's word is true yeah. and a harvest actually comes forth. So yep. the one other one, Zach, that I'll, I'll mention real quick is that the, the, the ones who are going to um, finish the great commission don't look like me and you. It, it, it doesn't mean that Westerners don't have a part. They do have a part, but more and more the, the way that m- movements of God are happening uh, around the world are when uh, it's really oftentimes a pair of, of uh, uh, some, some, some Westerners and an indigenous believer and not, you know, obviously unreached, unengaged, not every culture has believers, but most have at least some, mm-hmm. right? Like even mm-hmm. the Syrians, there are a handful of Syrian believers mm-hmm. and, and we, we, I think we step past what God's already done when we don't include them in, in the work that he's called us to do. Amen. And what we need to do is let, you know, there's a guy that was a, that Syrian believer when we were in that tent and, and he was just so natural because it's his people. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so it's just like, we need to take our clues 
from them. We have, we have a role, but we need to not be afraid to carry the bags of our brothers and sisters who are actually more like those people than we ever could imagine, Amen. no matter how great our Amen. Amen. And so you're not against sending people from Austin or people from Madison, but no. it's part of a more grand holistic picture and part of the equation as we send people, right? And, and so I, I just want to be really clear. We need more Westerners to go to the nations. Absolutely. The, 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 the reason that we're there, there are literally, so you take half, just let's say that I was overestimating that half of those 1700 camps uh, are completely unengaged right now. That, that leaves 850 camps, 400,000 people with nobody doing anything among them. Mm -hmm. And so we need labors. The reason it's not done yet is because we don't have labors. Yep. We need people to pray for the labors and then the labors need to go to the unreached. Yep. And so, uh, but those labors should, should enter into some kind of uh, training before they go, not just get on a plane by faith and do the Bruchko thing. You can Google that one later. I'll fill you in after about Bruchko, Bruchko, great book. You should read it, but it's a little different than what we would recommend. Um, <laughs> I read that book out loud to uh, our kids. Yeah, it's great, yeah. great, great book. Um, great for building faith, terrible for thinking about strategy and interest. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, so, and like, uh, we... We talk a lot in our mission statement is we want to be a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. So we talk about neighbors and nations all the time, and we don't want to ever divorce those two. Um, they go hand in hand. So we're thinking about crossing the street and crossing the ocean. These are just some of our catchphrases as our Great. vision for a church. As you, I get the impression based on just me reading between the lines a little bit, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, I get the impression that as you're training people to be sent— to go overseas, there's a, there's a, uh, aspect of just being present among neighbors. Um, yeah. what does that look like to, uh, I mean, does that, does that overlap with any like social justice concerns, um, yeah. in terms of declaration and demonstration, um, yeah. and how we're thinking about like who we send being faithful here first. And is, is yeah. that ring any bells with what you guys are doing? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. So, so we, we've got, it kind of plays out two, in two ways where we've got some 10 week groups and nine month groups, but really the practices are pretty similar. And those practices, if you, I'm, I'm, I'll try to get down to brass tacks because I feel like sometimes we talk so up here yeah. uh, that it's just like, so what does that actually mean? What do you do with your groups? Right. Well, in both of these groups, uh, we commit to this, uh, for lack of better words, we just call it this three, two, one lifestyle. And, and, and three hours is spent communing with Jesus. It's time in the Bible. This is probably what most, you know, of our, our, our church folks are already doing. They're getting a half an hour a day with Jesus, a day of grace. You know, they, they're coming to listen to you or somebody preach They're They're like, okay, that's good for today. And, uh, you know, three hours, uh, with Jesus then two. And then this is where it changes though, is there's two hours of training somebody else how to share the gospel or how to we use this fish acronym mm -hmm. um making disciples of men and and at first we just said just get out there and do it yourself but what we've realized and it goes back to working with indigenous believers what, the better way to do it is to grab somebody from an old missional community or small group or community group to come with you uh, you learn these things and then you right away turn around and do it with somebody else and are actually 
out among the lost, training another believer how to share their faith. Mm -hmm. um, so you commit to these two hours every week. And then one, one hour of prayer corporately uh, because of Luke 10 too, about, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, therefore pray earnestly the Lord, the harvest to raise up labors for his harvest fields. And so prayer has to be the, the core, the engine, the furnace right. that, that, you know, it, God, the only way people in our neighborhood are going to say yes to you is if you draw their hearts to yourself, yep. you know, that's what John six says. And so, and so, but there's very, again, so we just say, man, if you're going to jump into one of these groups, yes, we're going to have that kind of family gathering. That's going to last, you know, two, three hours, share a meal together, but we're all, you're also committing to these two other times. One where you're out with one or two other people where you're actually engaging the lost on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And then another one where you're, you know, doing what we did this morning. And again, I'm not trying to pat ourselves in the back just to let you know we're in this work with these people and we're praying on a regular multiple times a week for the lost. And then, and then while this is happening, then we're, we're, we're speaking into people's marriages or their singleness or how they parent their kids or, you know, and we send a lot of people, a lot of people think that the stone sends a lot of folks because we have a lot of college students and we send some college students and some, you know, like mid 20 somethings, but actually we send a ton, 40% of the folks that we've sent have young kids. And so we send a lot of families. Uh, and, and so, so just cause you have kids, doesn't mean you're disqualified. It's, it's amazing. You, you wouldn't believe it. Um, and this is where, you know, uh, I heard our, our uh, senior pastor, uh, uh, Matt Carter, who started the church, say one time, a guy just said, man, I just don't know if our church is the right demographic. You know, um, we have a lot of families. And, and dude, his response was flawless. He said, have you asked them? Mm -hmm. And I think so often one of the biggest reasons we don't send more people is simply because pastors are not asking their people, will you go? And not will you go, or why would you not go? Just pick your Psalm 67, Psalm 96, Matthew yep. 28, yep. pick your passage. There's like, I don't know, a thousand of them. And, and once a year, pastors, just if, if, if there's other folks listening to this, you should be putting before your church an invitation to, to not go on a short-term trip, but to give their lives and say, wrestle with this call me, let me know the day you want to pray and fast or the weekend you want to pray and fast about God, is this where you're leading us? And then take some steps in that direction. Um, and so anyways, I, I think we might've got off a little bit. There, no, that's but, good, man. That's yeah. really good. I, let me ask you this. Let me anticipate an objection that I'm sure you've heard before. Yeah. Um, man, like stuff is really bad in my city right now. Mm. And, you know, just a couple nights ago, there was another shooting of white police officer and a, mm -hmm. and, a, and a black man was shot. He was not killed, thankfully. Um, but like there's a lot of unrest and there's been all summer. But just just recently, as we're recording this, um, you know, we got racial justice issues all over the place. Um, we've got, you know, massive economic problems in our city and disparity and uh you know, there's all of these problems, you know, we're learning about sex trafficking in Madison. Like it's, you wouldn't think of that, but it's here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why should we be fo so focused on sending when there's all these problems in our backyard? Yeah. 
So the first, the first, uh, I'll give uh, theological and then practical. Theologically, uh, I'm going to respond with the Bible mm-hmm. and just Jesus, just go to the one that we all know. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pantata ethne is the Greek, all the ethnic groups, right? And and that's what's going to happen. We see it in Revelation five nine, Revelation mm-hmm. seven nine. We know that that's going to happen. But the way it's going to happen is by people. Um, seeing the gospel go forward to these all these unreached or unengaged peoples and that hasn't happened yet Mm -hmm. and the reason it hasn't happened is because very practically there's a disproportion of of gospel resources that are going to the unreached peoples Mm -hmm. and and so when 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 less than one cent of every dollar given to the north american church goes to seeing the gospel go forward among unreached peoples you can't say that we're really trying to do what jesus said he wants us to do mm-hmm. and when you see less than you know some people say it's as low as three percent other people say it's less than ten percent it's not 50 50 you know of of when people go to 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 be uh in full-time ministry which is a crappy term but you know what i mean uh they they're not going to be unreached and so very practically you just look at the disproportion of resources and then and then i would say try to and I would say this very humbly, but but try to edu- educate yourself on what the the reality of the rest of the world is. We, my my family and I, it's a little intense, so it might not be for. And we've got our youngest is eight, um, but he watched it, and not not everybody would maybe want to do that. But there's a there's a film on uh, Amazon uh, or Netflix uh, on Amazon. You have to buy it called Free Burma Rangers. If you want to get a uh, a, a glimpse into what's what what um, racism looks like on the other side of the world um, uh, that will will show you. And again, I'm not trying to pit because racism is racism, right? Amen. Amen. What happened in our country is terrible. Amen. Um, and you look at you look at Burma and how the majority, which controls the government, 60 percent of the country of Burma, right over there by between Thailand and India, how they oppress the minorities that are on the edge, literally on the edges and in the mountains, and how they're systematically wiping out minorities, and how this family with their three kids has given the last 20 years of their life to helping these minorities, and 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 they're doing it because nobody else is. Yeah. And so again, you just you you and you hear these awful stories of of injustice that you and I can't fathom. Um, and, and so we have to just help ourselves become aware of what's actually happening in northern Iraq, what's actually happening in Syria. Yes, there are terrible injustices that are happening here, but the difference is there are gospel resources going there. And in, in fact, the large majority of them. But among these unreached peoples, these unengaged peoples, there's there's almost no one. Right. So the assumption is we we are planting uh, churches in Madison. We've planted two. You guys are planting churches domestically, I think, right? Or in yeah, some form. Uh, uh, yep, yep, yep. So, so there is a gospel witness moving forward in our current location, and the, our assumption is at the Vine that if there's a gospel witness and a gospel expansion through church planting, there's people in each one of those churches that's going to probably have passion to engage their neighbors in a lot of these different ways. So. I think what I would say is to that person asking that question might be um, like everybody's going to have probably a diversity of passion and calling. Some people want to engage adoption 
orphan care. Some people want to engage uh, trafficking victims. Some people feel like hands-on, man, I want to run for city council because I feel really called to want to address economic disparity in our city. Um, And so it might not be like you know, one or the other, but more of a diversification of gifting in the body. Mm -hmm. And so I would might say to that person, well, it sounds like you're, you don't sense a calling personally to go, but just do me a favor. What are you called to? And, and what, what are you going to do? Like, is it racial justice, man, you need to run for city council. You need to, you know, expand your relationships, uh, to, to engage that or whatever, you know, it could be anything. It could be um, homelessness. Um, yeah, that's right. And so a lot of times we'll even say, look at the book of Acts. The first part of the book of Acts is really, you know, Jesus is the main character of the whole book, of course, but really Peter, uh, with John at his side is the main focus of the first part of the book mm-hmm, of Acts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he does ministry where the church exists and that's of God. That's a good desire calling, you know, and that's how he's wired and that's where God wants him to live and operate. And that's what he did. And then you look at the second half of the book of Acts and you say, Paul, is kind of the, the one um, with his band of, of brothers that's following him him around that and 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 he is called Romans 15 to go where where there is no foundation right and so we're not saying that everybody should have a Pauline calling um, uh, it, it's okay that but it should at least be half and half like the book of Acts is kind of designed yeah and then all of us have to we're going to spend eternity with the global church and and I, you just you're not going to want to be there and say, I was half-hearted about the world worshiping Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with your location or vocation. Yes, It has everything to do with how you receive the scriptures and Jesus's invitation, joyful invitation, to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Because you can do it from Madison, Austin, just like you can do it from Afghanistan, India, or Lebanon. Yep. yep. And that's, I mean, you just summarized why we are all about church planting among neighbors and nations. We want to expand the gospel witness. And our assumption is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to care about demonstrating your faith. And that's going to look like a lot of justice issues and declaring and, you know, being faithful to talk about Jesus and why he's so beautiful and worthy to be trusted. But your point is um, the proportions are all off right now in terms of if we're looking at the world. Or we're looking at like Western, like access to the gospel, access to, you know, uh, Christians that are willing to lay down their lives to demonstrate their faith. Like that, that's, there's a lot of Christians willing to lay down their lives and demonstrate their faith in Madison. There's zero Christians in this refugee camp that you were just in. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you're saying, right? The proportions that's, that's, that's are just correct. off. That's, the, the proportions are way off. And so, you know, it's like, man, uh, you, you want to engage that? Well, I can, I can, I can join you up with a whole team of people who's living on support and, mm-hmm. and that's going to be their primary focus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden you begin, but, but, and I think it starts in some small ways, you know, but then, but then God always, the great thing about God is he always wants more. He wants more in intimacy. He wants more abiding, uh, both receiving and surrender. He wants more of your, your funds. He wants more of your prayers. And so no matter to what degree that you and I, even Zach are involved, at, you know, trying to do it together with our families, there's always more that he's calling us to. Uh, and, and that's the, the beautiful thing, you know, yeah. um, and not in a way that we're trying to win his favor, but we're getting to be a part of how he's moving the gospel forward. Amen. I can't wait for three years from now. Maybe it won't take that long. 
but we're going to go back to Lebanon. I, 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 I'm so, uh, so sure of it. And we're going to see churches in the Bacall Valley um, because our teams are there. Amen. And it's going to be so glorious. And we'll spend eternity worshiping with our Syrian brothers and sisters um, because, because they're going there. And why would you not want to be a part of that for all eternity with yep. your arms around, you know, uh, the nations? Yep. So. Let me ask you this, Ants, and then and then we'll be done. Um, can you share with us just maybe a poignant memory you have of the last decade? You've traveled the world of just like, here's an illustration of what God is doing. And I got to have a front row seat somewhere else in the world um, and what that did to your heart. Does anything kind of come to mind easily? Uh the, the, the first one, and maybe this is good because then it doesn't lift me up. I, I just watched this. Uh, there's a church that we partner with in Houston, actually, uh, called Grace Fellowship. And uh, and I won't go through the whole story, but but long story short, this church uh, just said, man, we want to be about these four different unreached people groups. And they said, we're going to start praying for them. We're going to pray for them every service uh, when we gather on Sunday. And then, and then we're going to start some prayer times for these different unreached people groups. And it wasn't like big and flashy. They'd have anywhere from 10 to 25 people meeting every week, every other week it's ebbed and flowed. Um, uh, but four years ago, um, they, uh, they met uh, a, a lady who was a widow who had been in India for about 10 years. Um, and uh, she, she uh, had, had seen uh, this one grad student come to Christ she was investing her life in him. Uh, there's there's a little navigator weirdness right there, but that's okay. Um, uh, and uh, and she's investing in his life. And they'd seen a handful of people say yes to Jesus. Well, this church meets this lady and says, "We'd like to just we'd like to just begin to pray for you." So this is in, in, this is in India. This is in northern India. Okay. And uh, and and the church begins to pray by name specifically for these leaders over the last four years, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And they, they send some short-term teams there. I, I, I don't think they actually ever sent anybody to join that long-term, but this church owned, like really just felt burdened by God to own this unreached people group in Northern India and, and began to pray, began to pray, began to pray. And I watched this video of this woman, uh, this beautiful woman, share about how uh, in the last several years they have literally seen and i won't say the exact number because I, I think it, it it dissuades some people from even believing but but literally thousands and thousands of unreached peoples worship jesus and she said grace fellowship it is i know that when this thing took off is when you began to partner with us in prayer hmm. and and i just i, I think prayer is um, it was so fun uh, uh, because I just got to preach on this a few weeks ago at our church when all the rest of the pastors were on the preaching retreat. That's when they bring me up. When, <laughs> you know, the bench is empty and they're like, who's down there? And so then I come up and, and, and preach. And anyways, it was just, it was such a beautiful picture because we just, um, again, we just, we, we minimize, we were like, no, it, it couldn't have that great of an effect. Yeah. And, and I think everybody listening right now to this podcast um, could engage. You, I know your church has got some different things that they're doing, um, you know, and, and what does it look like to really enter in? Because it, it gets tiring sometimes. And after you've, you've been praying for four or five or 10 years, 
Um, you know, it's like, God, is this ever going to be happening? There's a people group in Pakistan that, you know, the, the story of how we met them is amazing. And yet the breakthrough hasn't happened yet, mm -hmm. but that it's going to happen. And there's coming a day very mm -hmm. soon where the mm -hmm. Saraiki of Pakistan, this group in India, the folks that you're praying for in North Africa mm -hmm. will all be around the throne. And, 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 and you want, and, and the question we want to ask is, do you, do you want to be a part of that? And how much, mm -hmm. like, do you want to be a part in a small way? Or do you want to say, I, I, I gave all my life and resources and energy and money to this. And, uh, and so that's the invitation I think God um, calls us into. Um, the one other thing I'll just say, uh, this one just came to mind, and I know we got to wrap it up here, is that um, don't disqualify yourself to see God do great things. And, and maybe this is the story I should have shared is there's a couple several years ago, I'll make it super fast. A couple several years ago, um, uh, didn't have college degrees. That doesn't mean they're any less value. Uh, just means their stage of life. God rips him out of um, alcoholism. Uh, uh, they get in some, some of our training groups, long story short. And these, these aren't overly dynamic people, right? These are just kind of blue collar, salt of the earth, like Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, just great yep. folks to hang around, but no, not big leadership gifts, not, not like Uber, you know, charismatic in their personality, but they join a team, uh, in, in the middle East. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and over the course of three years, the last three years, they have seen 300 refugees say yes to Jesus, mm. Afghanis, Pakistanis, wow. Iraqi, Syrians, 300, bro. Wow. And they're like, um, baptizing these folks. And I just, I, I, I think one of the biggest lessons learned is God loves to use, uh, couples, peoples just like this, like just regular, not Uber gifted, just show up, just show up yep. and, and say, God, here I am, yep. take my life. And, and then all of a sudden you get to step into their lives are amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's not because it's all easy, no. but when they look back at the last three, four years of their life, it's like, wow, what were we going to do in Austin? Right. Sit around and them? watch Netflix. Oh man, it's just not even close. It's not even close. You know? Yeah. And so I just love it when God raises up normal folks to do extraordinary things and he yep. offers that to every single one of us, yep. you know, they brought over two babies. They've had two babies over there. And so, um, they've actually got a lot of babies in Turkey. So, yep. <laughs> yes. So just as like, oftentimes I feel like I need to add one thing and I know you agree with this, but like, um, like I want, I don't want someone to listen to this and feel a weight of guilt. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't, I don't think like we're praying about this. I'm reading my Bible. I think I love the Lord, but my husband has a job where he, he senses a joy and calling that. And I have a joy in my job, uh, as a woman, um, you know, uh, or I'm a stay at home mom or, and we just like, like, uh, the, the normal mundane life, um, like that's part of a good Christian experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and our folks overseas, they have all those days too. Right. I'm given the highlights, you know, just like when you right. watch that free Burma Rangers movie, you're like, this family is like, I mean, they might all be angels, you know, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's no, it's like 21 years of their life. Right. 
right? And so there's a ton of mundane and trail walking and stuff yes. that happens, no different than wiping, you know, little butts and putting on diapers or telling yeah. our kids for the hundredth time to shut yeah. off the phone. Yeah. And, and so God does have this role for each of us. Um, uh, so number one, I, I, I think we want to leave people with, man, you really do need to wrestle, not in a guilt way, but mm-hmm. wrestle with why would I not go? Yeah. Your identity yeah. secure. Just at least ask, ask the secure. question. But just ask the question, mm-hmm. ask the Lord, why, why would I, sh- should I, should we go for a season? You know, what would it look like to do that right now? Number two, um, uh, if it's, if it's a no, then, then ask what, what does it look like to engage more fully in what God's doing globally? Amen. Um, and, 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 and it doesn't take money. Uh, uh, the, the easiest one is just to enter and, and to really dive into whatever, whether your church is the vine or another church to say, how do I begin to pray and then raise up more prayers? Because that's how it's really going to, that's how the Great Commission. Amen. Amen. So. I love it. Well, Anz, I love you. And I wish we could, I mean, I got an hour more worth of questions, but I have to run and buy a circular saw. Um, but, uh, man, I love you so much. I wish we hung out, um, you know, in these last few years, as much as we did 20 years ago, maybe in the future, that'll happen somehow, but thank you so much for giving your time to the vine podcast. And, and I just, um, I'm so thankful. 